Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. How many of you know that our God is able? Over the last week, many of us have been rocked to the core. And as a church leadership, we felt compelled to speak specifically about these events. And you can take your seat for a moment. This is still a part of our worship experience, just in a bit of a different, different way. But the reality is that many of us feel the pain, sense of tragic loss from both the deaths of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. We also feel anger and a sense of righteous indignation over the sense of injustice of this tragic pattern that we've seen far too many times. And many of us have also felt a sense of despair, wondering, God, where are you? You seem silent. Do you care? Are you just? Where are you? And, and, and maybe many of you felt like I did this week of just even like, what am I supposed to do next? And so we wanted to take a moment as we worship together to kind of guide a sense of response and a sense of just even being able to speak to some of the things going on inside of us. And the first thing I wanted to share is just that we, you would be honest with how you're feeling, that we would be honest with how we're feeling together. You know, in the Bible, there is a whole book dedicated to crying out because of the destruction that someone was seeing in the community around them, because of the despair that was around them. That book is called Lamentations. And I wanted to read just one verse from it just to kind of give you a sense of what it says. In Lamentations 2.11, it reads, My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed. Because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. That sounds too familiar with how I've been feeling this week. And so the first point is that it's okay to weep, to grieve, and to feel whatever it is that you're feeling. And in fact, to entrust that to God is a true sign of faith. The second thing we wanna encourage you with beyond being honest with yourself is being honest with each other. Don't isolate yourself in times like this. That is so important to be in Christian community of folks, folks that can not only empathize and commiserate with our pain but can also point us to hope out of that circumstance realize that we are better together amen thirdly just to remember that god does care in fact the very understanding that we have of justice is rooted in the biblical account of who god is psalm 89.14 tells us righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. 
God has given us a standard of fairness and of justice uh, to guide us. We are all made in his image and therefore deserving of being treated with fairness. And he's also told us that those who oppress others will be held accountable. And so our very understanding of a sense of justice comes from him and from these things. Fourthly, we have hope. In the gospel, we see a God who is present and aware and active in the affairs of his people. So moved is he in our plight, in, in a, our, the injustices that we experience, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who came, exposed the unjust systems around him and willingly died as a victim of injustice himself so that through his resurrection, we could have life. The brokenness in this world is real, but so is the hope of what's to come. And so is the hope that is found in the gospel. God is aware, Jesus is alive, and he literally moved heaven and earth to rescue us. And then lastly, we also find in the scriptures that we have a responsibility to do something. In the gospel, we find a reason to act. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it tells us, it says, we are therefore ministers of reconciliation, bringing those who are far apart together in our common union, in our common heritage. And there's some stuff that we have to do in order to be a part of the solution. And so there's some specific steps that we want to encourage each of us to take as we move forward. And you'll see uh, some uh, on the slide up there. One is that we're organizing a time to gather and process. We have these process groups uh, this Thursday, uh, 7.30, here at the church, and then next Thursday as well. And this is an opportunity to express the, the, the anger that's there, the, 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 the grief, the sense of, okay, what are we going to do, the, the, the desire to do something. We invite you to be a part of those these next couple weeks um, as we meet here. Also, we are launching a standing justice committee, a standing justice ministry that will be focusing on these issues, not just in a reactive way when something terrible happens, but throughout the year. If you're interested in being part of that, then just email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can email us right now. Also, if you have opportunities that you think that as a church we should consider, send us those as well, and we'll consider those. We can't do everything, but we can and will do something. And then lastly, that we are encouraging everyone to fast from social media on, on this Thursday. One of the things, just as a point of self-care that happens, is sometimes we can get so tied into the conversations that are happening that we gotta sometimes pull away, take a step back, so that we can hear the voice of God, hear our own thoughts. And so because of what we're doing with the process groups on Thursday, we want to give an opportunity and just encourage us, whether you're going or not, to just unplug on Thursday and have some time to just hear and process. Well, the Dallas police shooting that took place on Thursday night added another tragedy in our midst that was directly related to a response that a disturbed individual had to the previous shootings and encounters over the last few years. 
And it is also a, a very gripping reminder of the reality that how we handle our pain and our grief is very important. And that having a biblical perspective, having an understanding of the fact that there is a God who is just, who says that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, is important. That also having a desire to do something, but knowing what the right things to do are, is important. And also to empathize with those who weep. There are five other families right now that are grieving their losses as well. And we need to be mindful of that as well. And all of this is, is, is part of worship. And so as we move on, we're about to pray. I'm going to bring up one of our elders, Steve Cantor, to pray for the, the, just our nation, for the, for the Sterling family, for the Castile family, for those lost in Dallas as well. And we want to challenge you to worship. And as we worship, we want to worship is a declaration of who God is and what is true. But it's also an anticipation of the kingdom that is coming as well. And the fact that where things are now is not where it's going to end up. That we have a hope. And that that hope involves us acting, but ultimately God acting on our behalf. So... We're going to have uh, Steve, you can come up and just pray, and then we're going to continue in worship. Let's pray, family. Father, we pray as a church, your instrument for fighting the injustices in the world. Lord, they have been pointed out. They are so just um, hitting us in the face this week. Lord, things that we know have existed for centuries. Lord, that today, this week, we we cannot hide from them. Lord, we cannot turn a blind eye to them, though some will try. Father, so we pray as a church that you would give us, Lord, the words, the actions, the grace, the, the influence, the power to make a difference. Lord, we pray for the families of those that have lost loved ones this week. Lord, we remember the family of Alton Sterling. Lord, and Philando Castile. Lord, what their children and their mothers and their fiancés are feeling is, is something that some of us in this room may understand and some of us may not. But Lord, may we remember that these were two men created in your image. And Father, you had loved them and you had created them in a special way. And Lord, because of the actions of others, their life had ended. Lord, in your time, but as we mourn and weep, there were lives that seemed to be taken way too soon. Just as we mourn for the lives of these Dallas police officers, Lorne Anarines, Michael Kroll, Patrick Zamaripa, Brent Thompson, Lord, and Michael Smith, they also were individuals, Lord, created in your image created to do good works for you. And Lord, through the injustices of this world, they have been ripped apart from us. Lord, we know that the world we live in today is a fractured world. Lord, we know the differences between culture and race are something to be celebrated, not to be divisive. And so, Lord, we long for the moment when we celebrate the differences and we don't look at them as ways of separating us, but we look at them as different um, expressions and understanding of who you are as a most gracious God.
Lord, we pray Proverbs 28. It says, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Lord, may we seek you so that we can understand the justice that you would want for all. Lord, like Amos, may, may justice roll down like waters and may righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And Lord, may we as a church, may we as a body, may we as a family be part of seeing that come to be. In your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. We want to see you, God. Show us your glory. That's exactly how I feel right now. God, I want to see you. I want to see you show up in a mighty way. Good evening, Bridge Church. So grateful um, just to be in the land of the living right now. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Rich Bowman, one of the pastors here at Bridge Church. Um, and uh, man, just as I reflect on the recent events that have happened just in our, in our country, I realize all too well that it could have been me. I can no longer hide behind my rationalizations. Like, well, you know, I, I wouldn't have done that. Or, you know, I'm not like them. I've come to grips fully with my own brainwashing. And I'm brought to a very serious realization that it very well could have been me. And that despite my best effort, Facebook could have been littered with hashtag Rich Bowman. And that only the hand of God keeps it from being so. It's with a heavy heart that I stand before you today. Feelings of anger, feelings of frustration. As a father, as a shepherd, I want to do more to protect. I feel a lack of power a lack of control. I go outside and sometimes I feel like there's a target on my back. A scary, big black man is engraved into my DNA. And sometimes I don't even notice how my color colors my experience. It's at times like this that I look up and I say, God, why? God, where are you? And it seems like as a city, we're all doing the same. We're all asking the same question. We're all looking for answers, for the solution. The question this evening is, what does God have to say? What does God have to say about how we're feeling? What does God have to say about an abuse of authority? And what does God have to say about the suffering that comes in the aftermath? So we're continuing our study through the book of James. You know, last week we talked about what it means to be a peacemaker, right? How can you be life, right, rather than live the me life? That's good. Y'all paying attention. We talked about our community and that the way to strengthen it is actually to serve one another in love. And not just any kind of love, a sacrificial love. A love that would cause you to lay your own life down for someone else. A love that says, I don't want to build my kingdom, God. I want to build your kingdom. 
The kind of love that Jesus showed us on the cross when he died for our sins. To be life for us. In James chapter 5, we're going to look at ways that, things that God has to say about what we should do when there's suffering in our community. How can we have faith in a time of suffering? And how appropriate a time to discuss this very topic. Because if we're honest, we're all suffering right now to various degrees. Many of us are confused, might be lost, angry, hurt, frustrated. And I'll be honest, I don't have, and I wish I did, but I don't have a magic wand to wave and make everything better. I don't have all the answers, but I know that God does. Things may seem rocky right now in our minds, but let me tell you guys this. As rocky and as confusing and as lost as you might feel, God's not confused right now. God is not lost. God's plans have not been thwarted. Today's message is about hope. There is hope for us. God has something to say, Bridge Church, and we're actually going to talk about three things that God has to say. The first one is to be innocent. The second is to be hopeful. And the third is to be encouraged. To be innocent, be hopeful, and to be encouraged. Let's get into his word. Let's look at James chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So, we have this group of people. We will refer to them as the rich oppressors. The way things worked uh, from a legal perspective back in that time, time being sometime between the first and second century, these oppressors, right, they were educated, and then they had a labor force, people who would work their land. They were uneducated, right? So the rich people would go to a really good school, and the laborers didn't go to school at all. They were pretty illiterate. So what happens when it comes to negotiating a deal or negotiating a contract when you have someone who's educated negotiating with somebody who's illiterate? Or how would it be in the legal system where only one group has legal rights? How is it with voting where just the rich are able to bring a case to court? Only the landowners. Listen, the only reason that we're not still stuck in that ancient system where only the people that have wealth have a say is because Christian brothers and sisters have gone before us and they have declared that we are all equal, that all people are equal. See, the reason that we have people in our culture screaming that we are all created equal is because they understand that they've been given rights by their creator, that we are all descendants of Adam, and that Though we're divided as far as nations, as far as languages, that we're all the same, human beings created by God. And we should be equal when it comes to the legal system, and we should be equal in the sight of the government, and we should be equal in the sight of police officers, because we're supposed to be equal in the sight of God. Now, clearly, it doesn't always work that way. But in principle, the world that we live in is a lot closer 
to being one that God designed because of the influence and effects of biblical teaching. Proper biblical teaching leads us to social justice. So we have these people who are on top, right? The educated, the rich, and we have these people on the bottom, the workforce, uneducated, poor, people who don't have legal rights. And so if these people on top were to commit injustices against the people on the bottom, there was really nothing that the people on the bottom could do about it. They had no say. Their only option was to bring their concerns to God, to the Lord. And so they cry out to the Lord. Imagine that. Can you imagine that? Living in a world where even if you're a victim, you still can't win in court? That despite all the evidence being in your favor, the one who hurts you is declared innocent. Unfortunately, we don't have to imagine that. That's the headline in our paper. So for these laborers, they go to work, and sometimes their employer doesn't even pay them. And then they go work for someone else, thinking things will be better. And that employer doesn't pay them. And the whole time, they got to put food on the table for their families. What are they supposed to do? These are godly people, but I'm sure at this time, they're tempted to do some very ungodly things. And we feel the same way. Like, Dag, what do I have to do just to be heard? What do I have to do to affect change? What do I have to do to be noticed? And God hears that cry. He's concerned about how we're treated. See, the Bible isn't just a book that talks about what we need to do to go somewhere when we die. The Bible is about right now. It's about your life right now. It's a book about what happens when you die, yes, but a whole lot about what happens before that. God cares about your family. God cares about your rights. And if we think biblically and we look at the people in power, we can see how they got into that scenario. They're there because they mistreat their labor force. And they mistreat their labor force because they see them in terms of ownership and not stewardship. Ownership versus stewardship. Poor treatment is the byproduct of acting like you own the thing that you are only called to manage. Poor treatment is the byproduct of acting like you own the thing that you are simply called to manage. So for example, my wife and I, we lease a car. Right? We don't own it, we're technically renting it right, for a monthly fee. And at some point, someone, the dealership, is going to check and ask us a question. They're going to ask us and inspect how did we treat this thing that we were given. They will inspect our stewardship of that vehicle. See, this scripture is talking about money and how a group of people are using their wealth and their power to abuse those with no wealth and no power. But it's not just about money. See, money is about stewardship. We don't own it. We are just managers of the money that God entrusts to us. The same can be applied to authority. Authority is not yours. It is given to us by God. As a pastor, that is a stewardship of authority over you. As a father, that is a stewardship of authority over my daughter. Being a police officer is a stewardship. 
The badge is not a license to move in a way that you see fit, but rather managing the authority given to you in order to serve and protect. Remember last week when we talked about being a peacemaker? About choosing to be life, not living a me life? If you're going to serve and protect, then we need a force. We need a group of people that are willing to be life. A force that says, I would rather take a bullet for you than put a bullet in you. We need life givers, not life takers. And guess what? Just like a car lease, God is inspecting our stewardship. How did you treat those people that I put under you? What did you do with the lives that I entrusted to you? And just like cars, there is a cost for a failed inspection. You see it right there in verses 1 and 2. If we go back to James chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. He's saying, listen up, you managers, fronting like owners. You failed the inspection, and now you must pay the cost. Justice must be served, and the wrongdoers must be punished. Your wealth has rotted. The very thing that you put your trust in has rotted away. And the symbols of your authority, your nice clothes, right, all your money, your gold, your silver, the very symbols of your authority will consume you. Look at verse 3. Your gold and silver are corroded. They will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. The very thing that you stole, the very way that you exercise control and abuse those in your community who you see as less than has now become a curse on you and it will consume you. So what does this all mean? It means no one gets away with it. No one gets away from the eyes of God. And I'm not talking about whether or not cops see jail time or not. I'm talking about God seeing all and no one being able to escape his holy judgment. So know this. Remember in James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, but he gives more grace. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God opposes those prideful people that bring harm to his children. If you are harshly lording over people, if you are mistreating them, if you are abusing your authority over people, you have turned yourself into a cup for God's wrath, for him to pour his wrath into you. But isn't that bad, right? Isn't wrath bad? Why would God do that? Isn't revenge bad? My mom would always tell me that, you know, revenge is bad. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. Don't engage in that kind of retaliation. She would always tell me that revenge is bad. Revenge isn't bad. Revenge is just not yours. If you look at Romans 12, verse 17 to 19, do not repay anyone evil for evil. This is not for you. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. This is my favorite part. But leave room for God's wrath. 
For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. My goodness. What a terrifying statement. If you're on the receiving end of that. But man, if you're one of those dear friends, man, the level of confidence boost that you get from that. God is saying a few things here. He's saying, don't take revenge because that doesn't leave room for me to do what I have to do. I do the avenging. Avenging you is my job. Not only is it my job, but I do my job. I get the job done. Like, I have a two-year-old daughter. And if someone hits my two-year-old daughter, I would hope that she would not hit them back. That's my instruction to her. Hey, somebody hits you, you don't hit them back. You come tell me. And then you point out, you tell me who did it. Why? Because avenging her is my job. And I get the job done. So do like verse 17. Do not repay evil for evil. Live at peace. Let us talk reform and let God talk revenge. God is saying, be innocent. I will avenge you. God is an avenger. Point two, be hopeful. God hears you and God understands. Be hopeful. God hears you and he understands. You know, if we look at verse 4, James chapter 5, it says, The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord. He hears you, so be hopeful. We see the consistency in the word of God hearing the cries of his people. You know, if we look at Psalm 34, verse 17 and 18, it says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Save those who are crushed in spirit. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel hurt. It says God is close to us when we're broken and crushed in spirit. God hears our cries. God avenges us but he also listens. He comforts. The Holy Spirit is described as the paraclete or our counselor, our comforter. The word translates literally to mean someone who has been called to your side. God is literally by your side as a comforter for us. And God, we are crying out to you now. We are saying, God, we need you to come closer. God, we are broken. We are crushed in spirit. Comfort us. Hear the cries of the Bridge Church. Come closer. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord. We can move in confidence knowing that God notices us. So how can Jesus relate to us in our grief? Right? How do we know he can actually relate? How do we know that he doesn't just hear us, right? We know that. But how do we know he also understands? Let's look at verse 6. James, five, chap, uh, James chapter 5, verse 6. 
You have condemned and murdered the innocent one, the innocent one who was not opposing you. Wow, look at that. The innocent one who was not opposing you. That's another headline, right? It's another newspaper, a CNN, BCC article. The murder of someone who was not opposing you. But wait, going along with this story, remember we had people on top, people on the bottom, a labor force. Shouldn't the word say innocent ones? But it says innocent one. James here is alluding to his brother Jesus, the perfect one who was murdered and had done no wrong. Jesus is an expert on being treated unfairly. To have the rulers of the day mistreat him, even when he's completely innocent. He says, all of you who are treating your people unfairly and you're abusing your authority over them and you're treating them as less than, I've seen this before. You're the same type of people that murdered me on the cross. People who were not in opposition yet murdered. God says to them, I'm not blind to that injustice. I'm not deaf to the cries of the hurting. God is saying, be hopeful. I hear you and I understand. If anyone could relate, Jesus can. God is saying, let me comfort you. Let me comfort you. Point three, be encouraged. The kingdom is at hand. Let's look at Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is a farming tool. Again, from Brooklyn, I have no idea what any of that is, but I do have Google. So I Google the yoke. A yoke is basically something that goes around necks of cattle, specifically oxen most of the time. And what it does is it allows two animals to carry the load rather than just one. Maybe it's too heavy for one, so they share it. So when God is saying that his burden is light, the yoke is light, he's saying he wants to come alongside of you and help you with the situation. Not to take the burden away from you completely. Jesus is saying, bring your burden to me. Bring your load to me. Bring your weariness to me. Bring your frustration to me. You're still going to need to carry it, but I'm going to put a shoulder under it, and I'm going to carry it with you. We will yoke together. We will do it together. I'll make it lighter for you. Not that I make the load lighter, but it's because I'm carrying a portion of it with you. So what does God want us to do? If we continue down James chapter 5, we look at verse 7. It says, be patient. Now, how many of you really hate that it started like that? <laughs> be patient. That's hard. Because in times of suffering, we want answers now. We want solutions right now. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. 
patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rain. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Until the Lord's coming. Wait, so does, does that mean that we don't see peace until Jesus comes back? That things won't be better until Jesus comes back? Jesus has been gone for like over 2,000 years. That's a lot of patience. <laughs> but in a sense, that, that, that statement is actually true. We won't see a full, complete eradication of injustice until we're in heaven. But the thing is, we are seeing God's kingdom at work even now. If we look at Matthew 12, verse 28, check this out. The Pharisees are trying to accuse Jesus. So Jesus cast out some demons and they're like, oh, you use demonic forces to cast out those demons. And, demon, and Jesus is saying, look, let me just show you the flaw in your logic. And he says, but if it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, which it is, he says, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. For further clarity, go to my man, John Piper. He says this. John, Pastor John Piper puts it like this. When Jesus does battle with Satan by the spirit of God, freeing people from bondage, the powers of the kingdom are at work, and we see the kingdom is already present. Yes, there will come a time when we'll see the full glory of the kingdom in all its splendor. But make no mistake, the kingdom is present right now. What is mysterious about the kingdom is that it has come partly, but not fully. And that's the frustration, right? That's the groaning that we feel, right? And it talks about that in Romans 8. It says that we groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption, for the redemption of our bodies. We yearn for what comes after this life. It hurts to be here. It hurts to be in a land of suffering. We want heaven. We want our real home really badly. We ache for it. But let me give you some encouragement, some encouragement for right now, today. The kingdom really has arrived. Unprecedented fulfillment of God's promises is here today. The king has come. The king dealt with sin in the sacrifice of himself. The king is sitting at the father's right hand right now, and he is reigning. The king's enemies are under his feet. The king's righteousness is already ours through faith. The king's spirit is dwelling inside of us. The king's holiness is already being produced in us. The king's joy and peace have already been given to us. And his victory over, over Satan is already ours. The king's power to witness is now already available to us and his gifts are already inside of us for the work of ministry. Look at Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. Look how we even how we're taught how to pray. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's right now. Rasul Berry puts it best when he said, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we're ministers of reconciliation and agents of peace and justice, shining light in a dark world. So while injustice still exists, we are called to resist and respond with grace and truth. 
When Jesus does battle with Satan by the Spirit of God, freeing people from bondage, the powers of the kingdom are at work, and we see that his kingdom is already present. As a church, I pray that we are part of that process. God, would you use Bridge Church as a chain breaker in our community? Help us show that the kingdom of heaven is being established right now. But guess what? It's going to require some patience. God, you're the one that transforms hearts. Help us to remain patient and allow your hand to move. Help us to be patient and allow your hand to move. And if we jump down right to verses 10 and 11, James 5, 10 and 11, it says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Patience in the face of suffering. One of the hardest kinds of patience. Blessed, it's saying blessed are those who have persevered. You are enraged, but you endure. You're disappointed, but you're not disobedient. You cry reform, not revenge. You are not passive, you take action, but action that is informed by your faith. Job was a man who was upright. He's mentioned in this passage. Job, a man upright and blameless. And though he lost his possessions, his family, his health, he persevered. And in the end, he was given double what he had before. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. God wants to bring restoration and reconciliation amongst his people. Be encouraged. The kingdom is here on earth. So we must continue to remain innocent. Do not return evil for evil. Vengeance is the Lord's. Leave room for him. He wants to avenge you. Continue to be hopeful. You serve a God who can relate. He cares for you so much. He hears you and he understands. He is a shoulder for us. He comforts us. And finally, continue to be encouraged. God's kingdom is already being established here on earth. We oppose injustice and we bring awareness to injustice as a means to bring real change. Hate is a bondage, a bondage that Christ wants to free us from. Racism is bondage, bondage Christ wants to free us from. God, allow me to be a change agent, a chain breaker freeing those who are bound by their own pride. But even then, God, would you kill my pride? Would you kill my hate? Kill every time I ever thought I was on top of someone else. Remove any place in me where I'm putting myself or people like me above anyone else or any other group. You see, James wrote this not just as a warning to the oppressors, but also to bring awareness to the oppression. That's how God changes things. We cannot remain silent. That's why as a church, we have to talk about these things. The newspaper headlines are the church's front lines. 
That's where we fight. We have to move to the forefront with grace and truth. And finally, the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. This is from the New American Standard Version. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. Do justice. Bring awareness to injustice. Strategize on how you can get involved and bring justice to our world. Love kindness. Look for opportunities to serve and love those, especially the ones that don't look like you. And walk humbly. Kill the pride. Live for others. Seek out ways that you can get involved in your community. Let's pray. God, wherever we may be on the spectrum of grief right now, God, remind us that your shoulder is always available for us to cry on. Help us, Father, to turn to you in this time of suffering. Be with us going forward as we meet to process that we would process well. Championing justice and being a light, being a place of hope for those who are suffering with us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.